we have a new sermon series coming up. We have a special guest to tell you all about it. Hello, everybody at Restoration Church. <laughs> Surprise. Listen, Pastor Nate uh, reached out to me and wanted me to invite all of you to the church September the 5th. That's right. That's a long way off, okay? Maybe you could go back to church before then. But on September 5th, be there or you're going to miss a great time and some chili. I was told there will be chili on September 5th. I may have read that wrong, but in either case, you don't want to miss it. All right? Restoration Church, we are so glad that you're here with us today. Also, if you're new or if you haven't yet, you should fill out a connection card. You can do that at the Welcome Center, online, or you can even fill out the card that's on your seat. If you volunteer here at Restoration Church, we want to celebrate you. So August 26th, we are having our team night. This is going to be time to celebrate you, eat some delicious food, and play some awesome games. It's going to be so much fun. Also, if you're not a volunteer, this would be a great reason for you to sign up. We are now gonna get into our series from murderer to missionary. So prepare your hearts, get your notebooks and pens ready, and let's get ready to hear a word from God this morning. joining us today. I hope that you get a chance to come to team night on Thursday night, and even if you're a volunteer online, uh, if you're able to get to one of our locations and join us in person for team night, that'll be great. Lots of fun. Uh, you know, it's pretty much overall pretty short. We've got food and a bunch of special stuff that happens. It is a lot of fun. So everybody's on a volunteer team. Um, we're looking forward to hanging out with you Thursday night. Well, let's kind of change gears a little bit and uh, let's talk about some of our current events. And as we look at scripture today, we'll kind of make a, 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 you know, a loose parallel between a few things. But this week, you've likely been stunned by the events that have taken place in Afghanistan. And it's been, it's been shocking. It's been unbelievable. And no matter who you want to try to blame, um, let's all agree uh, many, many mistakes were made by many, many people, and even more people are going to be hurt in the process. Um, the, you know, you get the footage of the people clinging onto the side of an aircraft trying to flee the coming danger. 
Um, one of the reports of one of the people who lost his life was a 19-year-old who played on the national youth soccer team uh, for Afghanistan. He was one of the people who just couldn't hang on long enough. I read this this week. It was by um, a, a man named Rich McKinless. He wrote this as part of an article about the American Christian response for the people in Afghanistan. I think we have a, a different responsibility than most other Christians in other parts of the world because um, we're, we're part of the country that's um, at fault, I would think. Um, he wrote this, he said, what would you do if armed men broke into your home tonight, dragged your husband or grown son into the street and had them publicly executed solely for perfectly legal work he had performed to search your family. And what he's referencing there are the, uh, the Afghani men who were working alongside the US government to disarm, disarm bombs, to help establish a new government, to help provide freedoms for the people. Um, those men who were offered protection by our government, I think, I'm trying to remember, they were all promised in time they would be able to relocate here. And, and it was, you know, tens, over 10,000 people who are now left stranded and their, pass, their passports were in process and we've abandoned them. They're being hunted out. That's a lot of the door-to-door -door work is to find those people who, who helped our government who were promised protection. He says, suppose that these armed men demanded that your unmarried daughter immediately be turned over to them, who would soon be offered to a jihadist in a forced marriage, likely to never be seen again. Could we stop right there? Just be silent for a moment. And this is not a fictitious, imagine if you had to live on Mars type of reality. This is a reality that uh, that people were facing this week, that they lived through this week. Let's just be pause. I mean, just think about your family being in that situation for a moment. He goes on to write, if you cannot imagine such scenes in your home, by all means, offer a prayer of thanksgiving that such excruciating circumstances just don't happen where you live. You might also consider not waiting until next Veterans Day to say thank you to a veteran or a soldier now serving, those who have willingly risked harm's way to safeguard the sense of personal security many of us simply take for granted. This week, with all of the things going on, there's been a lot of reports that, uh, it, that maybe aren't true, uh, some reports that are true. Like any type of news that we receive right now, it doesn't, almost doesn't matter who the source is, you never know who's, what's true and what's not. It's so difficult to, to interpret what's really happening and what's not. Um, here's what we know it's true, um, not a good time to be a Christian in Afghanistan. Not a good time. One of the reports that I haven't found uh, any articles disputing uh, is the fact, or uh, you know, is this report that 
the Taliban has been searching people's phones and executing people if they find a Bible app on their phone. Uh, so far, I haven't found any, any articles disputing that, that it's not true or made up to, to, try, to, uh, to try to make some point. If you love Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, not a good time to be in Afghanistan. For us, we're part of the Assemblies of God. Uh, there, I think as of Friday, all of the... Um, all of, the, uh, all of the missionaries that are part of our denomination had all gotten out of country. That's a positive thing for those missionaries. But again, there's a church left behind. I just wonder, I think because we're not sure how to, how to respond to all of that, how we should pray about these things, Sometimes we can say things that sound really nice, they try to make us feel good. Uh, sometimes we say things that sound biblical. Um, you know, so I don't wanna speak in any sort of cliches here, but to ask these questions, what will God do to someone who does that? Who finds a, a young uh, a young teenage Christian girl with the Bible app on her phone and they decide to, to rape her and kill her, how is God gonna respond to someone who does something like that? As Christians, what should we want God to do? And I think this is kind of an interesting thing to wrestle with. What do we hope God will do to someone that evil, that vile, um, that person so much under the influence of demonic powers. What do we want? I think, I, I think for many of us, our first instinct is, you know, I hope God gives me a shot at them. Um, I hope that, you know, I wish that God would somehow put them in front of me and my friends and we'll let them pick on someone their own size. I, and we, we begin to think like that, which is not... I mean, that's certainly natural things to think, but as someone who's a follower of Jesus, we push past just thinking like that. And this is now where it gets a little bit complicated for us because what we begin to pray for and what we begin to ask God to do and the the change we hope God will make, this is where some people bow out. If we say, if, if we were to say, man, I hope God, I hope they give their life to Jesus. I hope that murderer would begin to follow Jesus. Then people will begin to say, wait a minute, someone like that can be forgiven by God? The person who hurt my family can be forgiven by God? They're gonna be in heaven with me and my murdered family members. I don't wanna be a part of that. Let's, as we look at the events that happened this, this week, let's look at some events that happened 2,000 years ago, uh, starting in uh, Acts chapter seven. This is around 36 AD. 
And what we see and what we read about is a, um, an account, a historical account about the beginning of the Christian church in the year 36 experiencing what the Afghani citizens and the Christian, the Afghani Christians have experienced this past week. We're gonna start reading in chapter seven, verse number 54. It says, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations. Stephen was a Christian and they began to shake their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God. He began to have this vision amidst this angry crowd. He began to see, his eyes were opened up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told this angry crowd, you know, look, can you not see what I'm seeing? The heavens are opened and the son of man is standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And again, Jewish people rejected Jesus as God's right-hand man because the one who was to sit at the right hand of God is the son of God. They would not believe that the man that they had killed was the son of God. So once he said that, verse number 57, they put their hands over their ears, they begin shouting, they rushed at Stephen, they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. This is taking large rocks, throwing it at the body and at the face and at the head over and over again until the person is murdered. While they were doing this, his accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. You recognize that name, that's who we've been talking about this series. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he prayed something pretty interesting. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen echoing the prayer of someone else, right? Jesus, who was on that cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. The Christian response, the one thing we always have to remember is our enemy is not our neighbor. Our enemy is not another government. Our enemy is not another religion. The people who come against Christianity are, are victims of our true enemy spiritual enemy named Satan, who seeks to kill and devour and destroy as many lives as he can. So our prayer can be like Stephen, who, who himself is being murdered, but even in that, anger doesn't rise up, bitterness doesn't rise up, but instead the love of Christ, a prayer, God, I pray that some of the people here will know you and follow you. And one of the people there did, Saul. Saul, this guy that we've been talking about in this series, his name was later named to Paul, so if I'm not paying attention, I'll, I'll switch his names around this morning. Don't, don't get confused, I mean it's one letter difference. Um, uh, same guy. He was here 
When Stephen became the first martyr of Christianity, and martyr, if you're not familiar with that term, is, is um, someone who's executed for their faith. Jesus was killed for being Jesus, and Stephen was killed for preaching Jesus. He was the first person to be killed for that. Imagine that you're so certain of your relationship with Jesus, you're so certain of his reality that when a crowd gathers around you and threatens your life, you know that when this life ends, the promised life begins. Imagine being so confident of that. I read this morning and again, you don't know what's true and what's not, what's made up, what's from 35 years ago, someone reposted, but, um, uh, but Something I read this week is that there was a there was a, a, a large execution this week in in, in Kabul and uh, there was a lot of Christians, adults and kids. And what I read and again, you can't tell what's real and what's not. Um, so I'm not. Hopefully, I mean this may be true. Hopefully it's not. But the kids said to their parents, "We won't deny our faith. We won't deny Jesus." And some families were executed together. And the report from some witnesses was that there was great peace among those believers. And you can remember back just a few, you know, a few years ago, six years ago, where this was beginning to happen in different places. And you had the Coptic Christians who were all dressed in orange and all beheaded. And as they kneeled there with hoods over their heads, they were singing hymns to the Lord before they saw him face to face. Imagine being so confident of who Jesus is that you would follow him no matter what. This is the depth of the relationship with him that we want. Not just attending church when it's convenient, not just having a Bible that we keep on a shelf, not just checking a box on some pamphlets that says, you know, uh, I'm Christian, but being in love with Jesus, being saved and transformed by Jesus, knowing that he is real, that he is the son of God, and being willing to follow him despite anything, despite any challenge, any faith, we won't. God, I'm, I'm not gonna give up on you. I'm not gonna deny you. Think about middle school, all right? I know some of you just already started back at school. Some of you are starting this week, next week. Middle school is a challenging time. You don't wanna stick out. Just blend in, be one of the people. Um, sometimes what happens in middle school is someone who's been your friend since, since kindergarten, you get to middle school and you find out, wait, my friend's a real loser. You just real, everybody's making fun of my friend. I thought it was cool he used to be a Maury Povich. Now I realize that was a bad thing. And what happens in those moments is someone realizes like, hey man, I know we've been friends for a long time, but me being associated with you is a bad thing. And I'm middle school, 
most middle schoolers aren't able to communicate it this way, so they're not like, hey, sorry, dude, you're on your own. You're really dragging me down socially, so I'm gonna ditch you, I'm gonna go hang out with the cool kids now. No, usually what just happens is the friend comes over and they're like, hey, hey, I'm your friend. And then you're like, I don't even know you, get away from me. They're like, you're an idiot, you're stupid. And then the kid's like, I don't know what that was about. And they go and they go cry. They go cry with their teddy bear. You shouldn't have been bringing a teddy bear to school in eighth grade, but just the same. They go, and what happens is we, we're like following, oh man, I come to church, everybody loves Jesus, whatever, whatever. All of a sudden, though, there's a crowd of people like, Jesus, he's a loser. You follow Jesus, you're a loser. Oh, you're an idiot, you believe in some guy. You talk to some imaginary guy in the sky, and, people, and, and we're like, oh, Jesus, not really popular to follow you anymore. You're affecting my pay raises. You're affecting how people treat me at work. You're messing up my, my relationships. You're taking away all the fun things I like to do. So I'm sorry, Jesus, I gotta take off on you now. I'm not gonna hang out with you anymore because I'm not as popular now. We give up Jesus because of a bully, for popularity, for fun. But yet our brothers and sisters across the world won't give them up, even when it costs them their children. Even when it costs them their own life. (laughs) I just want to challenge every single one of you to fall in love with Jesus. Not some form of religion that makes you feel better Not some genie that you hope will make that will answer all your prayers and take away your problems, but Jesus, the son of God who came to earth and became one of us, that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could have a relationship with his father, God, and that we could have the safety and the promise of the life after this one. This is not the end for us in heavens, not all clouds and angels singing, No, there's a life after this one. There's entertainment after this one. There's great joy after this one. We are really, our theology is really, really messed up when we think that heaven is boring. It's all choir singing and that it is gonna be boring. You have no idea how great God is. Your understanding of God is far too much based on a comic book and your portraits that are hanging on your grandmother's wall is not based on who God is. God is infinitely fun, infinitely happy, infinitely humorous, infinitely full of joy. We gotta remember, um, you know, it was when God created earth, he's like, let's make, let's make some mountains here for the people who like to hike and like to ride dirt bikes. Let's make some oceans here with some big waves for the people who, who like to uh, surf and whatever. Let's make some coral reef for the people who like to scuba dive. Let's make some lazy boys for the people who like to be lazy. And, and <laughs> let's, let's make man and woman and let's make them naked because that's gonna be a lot of fun for them. And... <laughs> We forget how great God is. And that's why Paul later wrote, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I really had a hard time understanding that when I was uh, a late teenager, you know, 18, 19 years old. 
to live as Christ, to die as gain. If I'm alive right now, hey, great, I get to walk with Jesus. If I die, I gain everything that scripture and that God has promised me. I want you to, I want to, um, we just finished up chapter seven. Let's look at verse number eight. This continues, same story. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So he's kind of standing in the back, thumbs up. Um, You know, if you ever wrote a Google review about a killing of someone, he would be like, great execution. They executed the execution with great execution. Like it's just, (laughs) you know, Amazon verified, you, you know, loser. Like it's just, he's right, he's right there. From that moment, a great wave of persecution began because once they killed the first guy and then all of a sudden there's no repercussion, but actually killing that Christian rose the level of leadership and popularity of some of these Jewish leaders it then began to execute. It began to, um, it began to accelerate. It swept over the entire church in Jerusalem and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Here's one thing about persecution, the church spreads. When the enemy tries to kill a church, what happens is the church increases. And so that's what happened. They tried to wipe out the church in Jerusalem and had it spread everywhere. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from, and listen if this sounds familiar, he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. We get a real good understanding of who Paul was before he met Jesus. Even while friends and family are mourning the loss of Stephen, Paul sees this as an opportunity and he's out getting more and more of them. Begin to do everything he can to find out who they are, to get them and to kill them. And you could, you could almost look at it on a numbers, on a numbers basis, or statistics basis, to think like yeah, you might have been pretty uh, successful at that, that of the 11 disciples who were still following Jesus after his resurrection, 10 of them were martyred themselves. Only John lived to an old age, but not without suffering great debilitating persecution himself. Every single one of them were killed. Paul himself was later killed for following Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine verse number eight. Imagine it through the footage you saw this week. The fear that those people lived through this week is the fear that the Christian church was living in during the time of Paul. And what we pray What we pray, and this is not to be cliche, this is not to make light of anything that's happening elsewhere in the world, but we pray for for the Taliban, for people who are serving in that army in Afghanistan right now. 
we pray that they will have an Acts 9 experience like Paul did. That on their way to a house, on their way to an arrest, on their way to a murder, Jesus will show up and absolutely change their life from the inside to the outside. And sometimes people can think, you only want this because you're, God's a pansy God. He, he won't give people what they deserve. I don't wanna serve a God like that. I wanna serve a God of retribution, of God of punishment, of God who, who, will, who will torture people the way they've tortured people. But God is infinitely more, he has infinitely more wisdom than we do. And what happens is, our prayer is that he will do in one of their lives or in many of their lives, what he did with Paul. That they will meet and experience Jesus, they will experience salvation, but here's what he did with Paul and here's what we hope he, do, he does with them even beyond salvation. We pray not only that he will save them, but also that he will call them. Paul didn't just get forgiven of the wrong things he did. Paul led many more people to heaven than he ever led to execution. And what was the enemy's greatest weapon at that time? God did one of those ninja moves where all of a sudden the guy's holding his own gun, pointing at himself, like, I'm gonna kill you. And then it's like, and then the gun's pointing at, have you ever seen that happen in the movies? And what the enemy was using as a great weapon, oh, I've got Saul. He's gonna mess up the church. God says, I'm gonna mess up your plans. And you thought you were gonna wipe out the church here in Jerusalem, but now this one guy, he's gonna establish churches on three continents. He's gonna reach people who aren't Jewish, and the church now is gonna explode. I didn't think to look this up till right now. I won't, I won't share with you any more fake statistics or ones I can't remember. But it's like the church grew to almost a million people in like 60 years. It went from 120 people to a million people in a very short window of time in the midst of relentless, horrific persecution. We're praying our prayer for the events going on in Afghanistan right now. And we're gonna, we're gonna be doing uh, probably a prayer meeting together uh, on Zoom at some point this week, so pay attention for that as soon as we can get it all figured out how to do a prayer meeting on Zoom. We're gonna gather together to pray for the church in Afghanistan. But even kind of in the, in the midst of all of that, what we're praying is that these people who are going door to door, dragging people out, that they're going to meet Jesus, they're gonna follow Christ, and they're gonna lead many more, uh, many more Muslims, Muslim extremists to Jesus. They're gonna bring many more with them to heaven than they ever brought Christians to death. Many more. That is our prayer. Not only that they're saved and forgiven, but that they're called. And what the enemy meant for evil, 
God, see, because if we think that the best thing that can happen to someone who kills a Christian or who kills, or who, who, who just acts so evil, so, so violently, we think the best thing they have is that they would be receive torture in return. No, the best thing that could happen is that they live as Paul lived, preaching Jesus to others. Because the enemy loves death. So God doesn't want to just kill everybody. He wants to save them and then use them to bring his good news to many other people because that is what, that is what the enemy hates. When you invite someone to church, enemy hates that. Hates it. When you... When you act out of anger, or you act out of bitterness, or you act without faith, the enemy likes that. We, uh, this is our prayer, and this is, you know what, this is our prayer for you too, not just that you will experience salvation, but that you will be called. You will experience the call of God on your life you won't live for religion, you won't live to attend a church service, you won't live to go to another Bible study, but you will live to bring the good news to the people God has assigned you to. Couple things real quick, band can come up, uh, and, uh, and we'll roll through these pretty fast here. Couple things about the call of God, God's call doesn't wait. He saves Paul on the road to Damascus while he was bloodthirsty. While he was on a mission from hell, he was saved. Paul was saved while he was on top. God didn't wait for him to hit rock bottom. <laughs> and I think we have, we have believed this myth that someone won't follow Jesus until they hit rock bottom. Don't believe that. In this service, uh, within my visual, I can see Tammy and when Tammy gave her life to Jesus, it was a great encouragement to me because our church culture, back when Tammy came to Jesus, was only the lowliest of the lows of humanity will ever follow Jesus. And Tammy was, was successful and um, was educated and wasn't going through a hard time and met Jesus. And I remember being so encouraged by that to like, yes, that's right, God saves even people in good situations because God's better than the best situation we can ever live in on this earth. And um, he doesn't wait, he doesn't wait, all right? He doesn't wait for you to change. He doesn't wait for better timing. He doesn't wait for your training to be complete. As we talked about last week, he calls us when we are least prepared. He called me to be a pastor, I was 15 years old. I was not prepared for this but that calling allows us to step into that preparation. Secondly, God in his calling always speaks in next steps, Acts 9, 6. When Paul has this encounter with Jesus, Jesus tells him, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. It was one step. He doesn't say, all right, I need you to write 13 books of the Bible. I need you to go and travel and start 20 churches. I need you, you know, he didn't tell him all that at once. It was the next step, go into the city, wait. A man named Ananias is gonna show up. God wants us to trust him in the calling. Verse, uh, chapter nine, verse number 10. Ananias, who had a call in his life, 
hears the word of Lord in the vision. And so he responds as he's, he, he's kind of startled. All of a sudden God speaks to him. Wasn't anticipating it, expecting it. God speaks to him. God, what do you want me to do? And God speaks to him very clearly. Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. And, and Paul was, Saul was praying to him right now. Like, God, don't kill me, don't kill me. I'm sorry I killed Christians. I, you know, he's blind right now because he, his, his vision was lost in this encounter with Jesus. Just terrified. God, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What's gonna happen to me? God, how are you gonna repay me back for the evils they did? God, I'm sorry. God, please, God, praying. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Ananias is like, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. And God's like, go. Like, you gotta, you gotta trust me. No matter what the consequence is, you've gotta go. I understand what I'm sending you into, but you gotta understand that I'm God who's sending you into it. Now, just imagine right now, you're, you're in Afghanistan, the Taliban's everywhere, and the most famous one, Fred, is searching all the Christians and killing them, and God speaks to you and says, hey, I need you to go to this street, to this house, this guy is gonna be there, and you're like, wait a minute, we all know he's the, he's the greatest terrorist right now in this region. If I go there, you know what that's gonna mean for me and my family? And God would, his call would be, hey, are you gonna trust me? What Ananias did as he lived out the call in his life was uh, so powerful and such an example to us. In our calling, God says under other people, Ananias had a call. Paul had a call too, and God used Ananias to come alongside of him that helped to be an ally. God could have just healed him on his own, but he, Needed, he wanted there to be a Christian witness because Paul certainly had a reputation and Ananias was able to disciple him, to vouch for him, to be able to communicate. No, there was a miracle. I was there, I saw it. Your call is perpetual. Perpetual means two different things and your call is perpetual in both of these two different ways. Number one, it is never ending and never changing or never changing, but never end. your call is never ending, Romans eleven twenty nine. The callings and the gifts of God are irrevocable. So again, if you're coming back to Jesus after many years of walking away from that calling, walking away from him, it's irrevocable. He wants to use those gifts again and to restore that call unto you again. And the second thing of perpetual is it's occurring repeatedly. Your call, how, is that, how does that occur repeatedly? How is it perpetual? Because your call leads to others receiving their call, which leads to others receiving their call. Ananias, his call led to Paul receiving his call, which led to Timothy, Silas, Epaphroditus, uh, I don't remember who else I said, uh, led, to, led to them receiving their call. It's perpetual. And then lastly, God uses imperfect people. Paul was obviously imperfect, murderer. Our imperfect, you know, God's call is on you and you're not perfect people. I'm not a perfect person. Our imperfection is not an excuse to keep on sinning. 
willingly sinning. It's not imperfection, it's sin. Just so we're clear on that. But we're not perfect people. We have a lot of growth to do. Um, but our past, as we talked about the first week, it's, no, it's not a limitation to our calling. Maybe you were a murderer in your past and you think God would never forgive you. He will. You think God would never use you. He will. If you'll trust him and you'll let him. There's a call on each of you. Everybody in Dover, everybody in Plymouth, everybody in Milton, everybody online, there's a call on each of you. Many of you prayed the second week of the series. Um, God, I wanna receive my assignment. I wanna receive my call. And it's different for every single one of us. And it's very important that we don't compare ourselves to anybody else. But serving on a team, leading a team, giving, leading others to Him. For some, it's this thing called vocational ministry where you become a pastor, a church staff, a missionary. The important thing is not what someone else's assignment is, what's the call in someone else's life. The important thing is what is on the call of your life and being able to live that out, being able to take that next step that He puts before you. Sometimes he shows you a step that's 20 steps away. When I was 15, you're gonna be a lead pastor. All right, well, there's probably 150 steps in between that. And then he begin to show me the next one and just begin to do it. And all of a sudden, eventually, I'm in that place. Though in the vision I had that Sunday, that, that school day where I was preaching, I wasn't wearing a Bucky shirt. It was a suit and tie. So. <laughs> it must've been an Easter Sunday. Um, <laughs> So what steps do you take? Three things. One, listen. Has God spoken to you? Begin to listen. What is he gonna to speak to you? What has he spoken to you previously but you haven't taken the next step? Two, repent, change direction. Paul's on the way to Damascus to, uh, to mess up some Christians. God shows up, change, change the direction. The entire direction of his life change. It could be, um, you know, it could be you're studying neuroscience, but you should be studying theology. It could be you're learning French, but you should be learning Swahili. It could be that you're on one direction, but you just be, gotta be on another direction. Begin to, begin to go that, it could just be behaviors that you're in, sins that you're in, and you're gonna go another way. And then the last thing is to respond. Uh, you know, it's the simple Ananias, he was told his, he, he listened, God spoke. He was told his next step, go to Straight Street. And his response was to open the door of his house and to go there. I don't know what God's calling you to do. I don't know what your response is, but he'll tell you. And then you take that step. Take that step and allow him to use you for his purposes. The United States is the third largest mission field in the world. There are more people who don't know Jesus in our country, the third largest mission field in the world. There's a call in your life. This is an assignment for you here. It's gonna look different for every single one of you, but he's got it. Close your eyes, let me pray. Jesus, we love you. 
And I know in this series, um, that first week we were praying, uh, many of us raised our hand, God, I wanna receive your assignment. I know there are many who have, there are many who you've spoken to them something that is five years, 10 years, 20 years out. Um, I just pray you show them what the next step is for right now, that they just keep taking that next step. And as we take that small step, God, we end up getting, making a bunch of distance and getting to the place that you want us to be. And uh, God, I pray we wouldn't be fearful about it. We wouldn't complicate it. What we just do today, what you call us to do today. And I thank you, God, for the pastors and the missionaries and the, and, and the church leaders and the, the, the spiritual leaders and the financial leaders, just everybody stepping into their role and what that does to the kingdom of God, what that does to the, to the culture in New Hampshire, the difference that that makes around the world, because we did our part. We did the thing you created us to do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Let's just stand to your feet. Let's sing for just a moment before we get out of here.